Good morning, everybody. Thank you, George. It's good to have you in the church today. So that's great. Good morning, everybody. You are welcome. I think we'll make a start. Uh, we're going to sing a couple of choruses to begin in a moment or two, so just to settle our hearts and uh, to bring us into God's presence in, in that sense as well. Um, uh, you know that uh, I suppose that some in the church have been having a tough time, and I've been reading through some of the, uh, the Psalms, um, and I'm at Psalm 143, um, and it's really a very a psalm about someone ex, uh, having a very difficult time. It follows on from 142, of course, which is someone having a slightly less difficult time, and 41, which is slightly less, and 40, which is slightly less again. So it just seems to ratchet up the whole way, and there's no sense of this person's prayers really being answered. And I think that's so often the case in uh, or Christian lives at times, that life is tough. And it can be very difficult either through sickness or trouble or opposition or struggle or doubt. And I want to recommend these Psalms to you, Psalm 140, 141, 142, and 43, uh, as you, uh, if you want to read them. But let me just read you one verse from Psalm 143, because this is what, uh, this, this prayer is not answered but this is his prayer. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. So let's think about God. We're going to sing about great is the Lord and faithful one. And I don't know your circumstances, but whether we're, we're joyful and things are working out or whether it's tough, and we want to hold on to the Lord. Let's sing of the greatness of the Lord and his faithfulness as a people of God together. So let's worship him now. Well, in that, that spirit of longing, the psalmist in Psalm 143 also says a couple of verses earlier, I spread out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you, like a parched land. And I suppose it is no coincidence that the very end of the Bible, in the last chapter of Revelation, uh, what the, the Spirit says to the church is this, come and, and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. So let us just pause and pray and think about that image of a soul thirsting for water as we spread out our hands, as we speak to the Lord now. Heavenly Father, of all the commands with which you have completed your written word, we're thankful that you, that for you, the one you chose to end with is not do more, try harder or buck up and be strong, or get up and get on with it. You went with come thirsty ones, come desiring ones, come and take the free gift of the water of life. What a kind and graceful father you are. Lord, the bitter water of self-righteousness only makes us sick. The stolen water of sin only tastes good for a moment. The broken water pots we make hold no water and offer zero relief. So once again on another Sunday, we bring our thirst to you, Father. Thank you for the living water Jesus alone can give. And always flow, the always flowing spring of healing grace, the life-giving cup of your mercy and love, the fountain of abiding peace and joy. We trust you to satisfy our thirst, Father. We're thirsty to know Jesus better and better. We're thirsty to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. We're thirsty to be quicker in our repentance and slower in our excuses. We're thirsty to be more generous with forgiveness. We're thirsty to be as free, whole, and loving as Jesus will make us. 
We're thirsty for the wedding feast of the Lamb when the bride will no longer say, come, but will say, here we are, all of us. We're thirsty for the day when your glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We're thirsty for the day of no death or tears and full joy. Father, we trust you to satisfy our thirst by the refreshing waters of the everlasting gospel. And we pray in Jesus' full and faithful name. Amen. Maybe let us join together to say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, folks, if you have your Bibles, let's open them at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I think Peter and Karen are going to come and read that to us. It's a long passage, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, page 1145. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that by your faith, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, and not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However... As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, 
even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. For what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, you can see that there's a lot in that. Uh, We have a lot to think about later on. But boys and girls, if you want to come to the front, it's my turn to do the children's talk. So looking forward to that. See how we go. Is that okay there, Peter? We can get that okay? Right, well, oh, I had to think in a hard way, what am I going to do to get this talk done? So I'm going to teach you a verse, okay? It's one of the verses that Peter and Karen read for us there so very well but I'm going to teach it through pictures, okay? So I need your help. Okay, let's see. All right. Okay, so what is that? It's like, okay, if you have it on your phone, I have an iPhone, when that comes up, what does it tell me? You're very close, you're a message, okay. So it's a message, it's a sign of a message. Now, who can tell me what is a message? So someone sends you something, what do they send you? Um, something that's words. words, excellent, yes, good. Anything else? Um, messages is like, messages like things and conversations. Conversations. Anything other than words? Emojis. Emojis, okay, pictures, <laughs> yes. So you get all of these things, written words, spoken words, pictures. And because what you have heard today is that God has a message for us. Okay, first word, message. Remember that. There's lots of these, actually, by the way. I hope it doesn't go on forever. Okay, what's his message? So, how many crosses do you see? Three crosses. Okay. How, what, I want you to think about this now. What kind of people ended up on the cross. They did bad things. The only people who ever ended up on the cross were criminals, and they did terrible things. And you have to understand that to be on a cross was the worst thing ever. It was just shocking. It was bad. It was sore. It was humiliating, and you never, ever went on the cross unless you were bad. So now we've got two words, message and cross. So God's message is about something that happened on the cross, and it was bad. Okay? You got that? Now, this is, I need your help for this one. A painter, it's not. Who is, who's, Josh, who is this? Um, Mr. Brilliant. <laughs> I knew that would happen. Now, Josh, I need your help. Because why is he Mr. Silly? Um, because he's silly. Yes, but what is he doing that's silly? Um, feeding with a toothbrush. Yes, he's, got, he's going to paint with a toothbrush. That's a silly thing. What else? I Actually, I did need your help because I thought, why is he silly? Anything, any other things about him that you see that are silly? His shoes, I think, are on the wrong feet. That's what I think is going on. Is that right? Does anybody know there, Mr. Men? Is that right? And what about his hat? What's wrong about his hat? It's over his eyes. I think that's why he's silly. Okay, so Mr. Silly, 
What's another word for silly? Dumb, stupid, good, starts with F as well. Those are good. Fool, foolish. Okay, so the message of the cross is foolish. Wow. That's what the Bible says. That's not the end. It is not the end. Yes, Lorraine. Lorraine's with me. That's good. So that is the Titanic, yes. Now, I don't know if you can understand this, and I know this is difficult, but what happened to the Titanic? It sunk. How did it sink? It had an iceberg. Where was it made? Belfast, that's right. It was made in Belfast. And do you know that 1,500 people died? And what we say is that they perished. And so the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that, in a sense, is every single one of us at one level, because we're all perishing. I'm much older than you. I'm nearer to perishing than you are. That's the reality of life. And it is, I don't know if, that, if you can understand that, but I'm just trying to say that that's what the Bible says. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And I missed a trick here because there's a very important but, and I should have put a picture of a but up there. And I'll leave you to think about that yourselves. But I, did, I only thought about that this morning, so I didn't put a butt up. A that is a church. Who's in the church? People. What kind of people? Christian. A family. What do you see up there? No, not the cross. What about the people? What kind of people do you see? A boy, a boy. A boy. and a girl. A, mom. a dad. A woman. And a man, or, or, or a man and a wife, I suppose. Yes, so the whole family of God. You, boys and girls, mums and dads, old people and young people, we're all in. And where are we in? What are we under? We're not just in the building. What's in the top of the building? The cross. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Isn't that an incredible picture? Look at how strong the man is and the chain that's holding him. And you can just imagine how scared the person is in the water. And I assume that he got rescued or she got rescued because this man came down and reached out and grabbed him and took him to, into his arms. Okay, so the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us in the church, men and women, boys and girls, it is... It, it, to those who are being saved, it is, and this is a poor picture, I have to admit, but, okay, strong. It is the power of God. And I thought about putting a picture of God up, but then I decided I wouldn't do that. Because the Bible says we're not meant to put pictures of God up anyway. So that's a very important verse. So let's see it here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Corinthians 1, 1 to, 8, 1 to 18. Let's say it together. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Okay. Because it's I'll, I'll talk in a wee moment, Andrew. Just hold a minute. I want to just try and get this across to you. Because some people think that Jesus dying on the cross is just nonsense. 
But when you realize that there's something wrong in our hearts, whenever we realize that we're not right, then we need God to come. And he took all the bad things we did, and that's why he went to the cross, not because he was bad, but because we were bad in different ways, primarily because we didn't love God as we should do. But the wonderful thing is that he forgives us, and we're saved, and we have his power because he rescued us. That is the good news of the gospel. That's why we're secure under the cross in the church. And that's what Paul in Corinthians wants them to see. They don't need all the good things of the world because what they have in Jesus is more than enough. He is the best. He is their Savior. He is strong. And they are secure in Him. And I hope that we will all know that deep in our hearts and follow Jesus. So, we're going to sing a song. I think it is... Kitty, would you lead this, please? Or God is a great big God. Okay. And you can do the actions, of course. Sunday special and K2. It really is the children who make the children's address, isn't it? You know, you would be lost without them, I have to say. And it would look very feeble, really, in many ways. So, folks, it's very good to see you in the church. And uh, you're all very welcome. Do stay for tea and coffee. We have a visitor's book. Please sign it if you're new and make yourself known. Uh, we will meet again next Sunday, God willing, and we'll be looking at chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. I know we're moving through quickly now, um, but do keep reading and thinking about it. And if you have an opportunity, you can go to the midweek home groups and think about it again in that context as well. We have prayer ministry at the front here for those who feel that they need uh, something prayed for, maybe themselves, maybe someone else, uh, maybe another situation. Just ask for prayer. Uh, the Sunday special K2 meeting is not happening tomorrow. They already know that. Uh, but just to let you know, um, International Cafe, we had a good start on Friday. Uh, we missed Annie, of course, uh, but there was a good number of students there, and it was good to have the team, and everything worked well. I was supposed to put the time in here. Apologies for that, but it's 7.30 p.m., so just note that International Cafe is 7.30 p.m., and we really should put that in from now on uh, if we could remember to do that. Now, uh, RTE service, um, I've completed the script by and large. Um, we'll meet this evening. Everybody who signed up, if they can come, that would be great. And we're going to meet at 6 o'clock so that if the boys and girls are free to come, because uh, we're going to do a children's course, Katie's going to do a children's talk, and we might have to practice that a little bit. But we're mainly practicing the music. Uh, we've, there's seven songs that we have, but we're just going to do them quickly. Um, and there won't, you know, so we look at that, we look at the timings and things. So that'll be a bit of fun this evening. I've said six o'clock, just so in case some of the children can come if they can. If you haven't signed up, and I did forget the sheet, and you want to come, let me know. Uh, we still have room for about another 15 or 20 people, and it would be great to have you. And then we have a rehearsal on Thursday of this week as well at 6.30. Uh, really, um, they do expect as many people as possible who've signed up to come but people who have jobs to do essentially need to be here, and we then just tell them people are working <laughs> because it's very hard, and it's really about timings that they're concerned about. So do, uh, do keep it in your prayers. If you've signed up and can come today, really do try to do that, and we'll try and finish about half seven uh, so that people can get home in good time as well. The Art of Marriage course starts tomorrow. Uh, that's the 4th of February between 7.30 and 9.30 on the second floor. Um, it runs for six weeks. Uh, yeah, all the other uh, things there, um, there are, I think uh, there's a good number going already, but if you would like to go, uh, then speak to Norman Sue, 
um, and they uh, will tell you about that. It's free, of course, and uh, you're very welcome to turn up to that if you let them know. Uh, next week, uh, the Double Gospel Partnership are sponsoring uh, a speaker in Grosvenor Baptist Church, so it's a mission uh, evening, just to let you know uh, you're very welcome to go where Christ is not known, um, and the, the speaker is there. Acid are looking for someone uh, to cover maternity leave, and you can contact them directly about that. So I think those are all the announcements that I want to talk about. We're going to focus on the gospel uh, now. We're going to think about the cross. And we're going to sing uh, how deep the Father's love for us, and then we'll look at this uh, passage together uh, as best we can as we think about what it means to preach Christ crucified. So let's stand and sing How Deep the Father's Love. Well, thank you for your singing. That's great. If you have your Bibles, uh, uh, do open them at this. I, I think we will try and get through all of this today, but um, I'll skim through it and, and hopefully we can just get the pictures as best as we can. I've, I've really enjoyed our home group looking at this, and I've learned a lot from it. Um, we were saying to ourselves that we've got, um, if you look at the first 10 verses of Paul's letter there, you'll see that the name of the Lord Jesus appears in every single one of them. And we heard, I think, over the last two weeks that Paul, uh, for Paul, the Christian faith is all about Jesus. And for this reason, he's adamant that if we follow any human leader, like Apollos or Peter or himself, it would be plainly wrong. And it would be wrong, of course, to divide the church over personalities. That is wrong. And the reason for that is we just don't have a high enough picture of Jesus in our thinking and in our hearts. He is everything. And it's him and the cross that unites us, of course. And that's what he's saying here, isn't it? I just want you to take you through that, first of all, if you look in verse 17, um, so the introduction to this passage that we looked at last week is, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He was sent to preach this message. If you look in verse 18, he talks about the message of the cross. If you look in verse 23, he says that we preach Christ crucified. If you look in 2, verse 2, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then if you look in 2.6, he talks about the message, speak a message of wisdom. Now that correlates with the message of the cross in 18. So the message of wisdom is the message of Christ crucified. And if you haven't got it already, you're beginning to see that the central message of what Paul holds to as which is central to the whole of the church is the fact that Jesus Christ is crucified. That is the gospel. And what we need to do by way of introduction as well is to hold in, uh, in the back of our minds, and the more we read about this would be good, about the prevailing culture of the time. Because Corinth was a huge city at the time. It was besotted by the cult of personality. And therefore, by holding to the message of the cross... Paul is deliberately um, focusing on weakness, and he is, in a sense, he is, well, he's deliberately um, opposing a culture in the society around him that elevated human wisdom, that elevated human strength, that elevated gifts and abilities, really a culture of celebrity and, and, and valuing achievement and wealth. And status, he would have hated rich lists, which we are fascinated by. Do you know, all of those things that our culture even today thinks the Corinthians valued so highly. But Paul is about to tell us that the message of the cross is weakness. It's foolishness. But it is wisdom for those who are being saved. It's a very powerful contrast. And that is what we're going to look at today. If you have your order services, you'll see um, uh, the reality of that. I think uh, that's where we're going to break this down. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that um, as well. So we're looking at this letter, 1 Corinthians. And I just want to look at that first one, first of all, the message of the cross. 
the weakness of the, of the message, sorry, the weakness of the message, verses 18 to 26. And I suppose I just want to re-emphasize what I was trying to say to the boys and girls, and I didn't want to be too graphic in that sense. But the, the cross has become a symbol, as you know, of the Christian church. We wear crosses. Uh, we have tattoos of crosses on ourselves. I mean, that's becoming quite popular. All of those things, and rightly so. I'm not saying about tattoos, rightly so, but the idea of the cross in that sense. And we wear it with pride. But folks, you have to understand, you must understand, if you're to ever understand the reality of the cross, that it was an instrument of torture, that it was extremely shameful to even think about it in those days. It was loathed. It was reserved only for criminals. It was an instrument of torture, of shame, and of death. It was hateful. Some people probably wouldn't even have looked at a cross. It was such an anathema to them. And we wear it and we don't even think about what it means. And we need to begin to think about it. And that's why it says in this passage, and it's, you know, if you can look at it at the same time, to the Jews the cross was a stumbling block. Because they expected their Messiah to be a great king who would reign. And instead he was crucified on this torture instrument. And not only that, their Bible told them that it was a curse to be killed on a tree. And they thought that cannot be right. It can't be right. And the Greeks, they loved wisdom and uh, they thought a human Jewish person crucified on the cross for treason, you cannot build a strong philosophical case on that. It's improbable and it's foolish. Verse 23. And I want you to gaze at this, and I suppose this is what I want you to remember. I think this comes up next. Look at that. That was graffiti put in a wall in this area at the time of the writing of this letter. That is what they thought of the cross. Anybody who believed in the cross was like a donkey. Foolish. And you know what it means? It says they are mocking this man. I think there's another one here. Does that come up there? It says Alec Amandus worships his God. It was just pathetic to them. They thought this is the worst thing that you could ever believe. And that is what it says in this. That is foolishness. It makes no sense. And that's why verse 18 is so important for us. But we see it differently. What do we see? We see justice and we see love. We see our sin punished on Jesus. And we see the love of the Father who put him there so that we could be forgiven. First John says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what else do we see? We see each other. How have you come to know Jesus? If you are Jesus today, if you are a Christian today, you have come because you've understood this. You have understood that Jesus died for you. You have understood that you are sinful. You are proof of the power of the message. Christ crucified and all that is meant for that, our sinfulness, his substitution for us, our forgiveness, his power to cleanse and welcome us into his family, the presence of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to live as disciples. The message of the cross and Christ crucified, it alone can save. The wisdom of the world cannot save. That's what 19 to 21 tells us. It baffles those who do not have it, verse 25. But the message is not weak at all. Because when we see it, by the power of the Spirit, it transforms our lives. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul tells the Romans, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's the weakness of the message, but it is the wisdom and the power of God that demonstrates his justice and his love. You need to see it if we're believers. Secondly, the weakness of the church. I think that's the next thing, the weakness of the message, sorry. And then, I don't know what's happening there, Peter, sorry. Yeah, the weakness of the church. So as we've said already, we need to, again, just think about this valued celebrity status. Um, But you see in verses 26 there to uh, 31, uh, when Paul looks at the church, what does he see? When I look at you, what do I see? Do I see celebrities? No. Do I see politicians? No. (laughs) Do I see, I suppose, you know, sports stars? No, though we might think we are. No, we don't, we don't, we're just ordinary people, aren't we? The world doesn't really care a great deal about us. Dublin doesn't write about us in its magazines. We don't get reviews, do we? But these are the people that God has chosen. Listen to that word, look at that. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. God chose the foolish things of the world. God chose, 27, the weak things of the world. 28, he chose the lowly things of the world. Why did he do it? Well, he did it because he loved you, but he did it to nullify the things of the world. Look at that, to nullify the things that are, verse 28 at the end of it. God's purpose is always always, the Bible tells us, is to humble the proud. If someone says, I don't need God and I live God and I just want to do what I want to do in my own way and I'm successful in the world and I just don't need him, eventually, even though God has given him all those gifts, all those abilities, all that money, all those circumstances, God will humble that person. He will nullify them. And he might do it in different ways, or he might not do it for 75, 80, or 90, or even 100 years. But one day, they will be nullified. Because this is about the divine timeline. And he's patient, isn't he? He wants no one to perish. He wants them to repent. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But as you know and I know, One day, he will nullify them all. They will not take their wealth with them. They will not take their celebrity status with them. I was at a hockey match yesterday. We got beat again. But one of the things that really struck me when I was playing hockey is that when I went into the bar and I watched and listened to the older men who had been playing hockey, And I said to myself, I don't ever want to be like that. Because they were stuck. Thinking about the glory days of when they were 25 and 26. And when they won competitions and when they were good at hockey. And it's not wrong. But that's not what the world is all about. And we do get old and we can't run the same way that we used to. We can't do those things because that's not what world the world is really about. It's about do we know Jesus? And all human wisdom and all human strength will eventually come to nothing. That's what it's saying. So that no one may boast before him in verse 29. Because God is not weak. Jesus is not something to be toyed with. What has he done? Look at the wisdom in verse 30. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. You are absolutely secure in him. And he has become for you the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. We have been sanctified as we saw in our first sermon. We're made holy. We're set apart. We're given the Holy Spirit so that we can bear the fruit. We're freed. We're redeemed. 
We're set free. That's what redemption is all about. And you could spend hours thinking about those things in the Bible. And the power of sin is dealt with by the justice and the love of Jesus on the cross. And he wants to glorify us. And that's why it's written there, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this then is our wisdom, David Jackman says, from God, is to be brought by grace into a right relationship and an accepted standing with God, to have true knowledge of him and to share in the life of God as his concentrated, treasured possession. And he chose the weak things of the world to shame the proud who want nothing to do with him. And you are testimony to that. And we need to know it and believe it in the weakness of the church is really the power of God demonstrated. It's just amazing. And then next we see the weakness of the preacher. In verses 2 to 5, or 1 to 5, Again, not spending long on this, it's really the same idea. The Corinthian culture valued rhetoric. I had to look up what rhetoric was. It was praised, it was glorified. And the dictionary definition of it is the excessive use of exaggeration and display and language, writing and speech. In other words, these guys were gifted preachers. They were amazing men of God in some ways, or men of God with a small g. They paraded about. They were philosophical in the way that they spoke. They were impressive to look at. And Paul says, look, I'm not like that. I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. So the preacher is weak. He resolved, look at that in verse 2, he decided that he would not use those means He would just simply tell the people in Corinth about Jesus and him being crucified. And many of them became Christians. And the church was big and it grew. Not because he was a great speaker, but because he was just good at telling them about Jesus. Look at what it says. He came to them with weakness and fear. Was he nervous? Possibly. Was he sick? And not particularly well. We know that he had something wrong with him. I've always believed that Paul, by the way, had malaria. And that it would have come to him and weakened him and affected his eyes. And he just had to take periods away in all his traveling. It could have been that. It may not have been. Or he may just have been overawed because he came into a city that was so opposed to the gospel. And he just didn't know how he was going to do it. And is not like us. But it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the power of the gospel. And that's what he says in 4 and 5, and we'll finish by going to the next. I'll not look at that, but it's just lovely to read. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. And the testimony of Paul was that he was weak. He was unimpressive to look at, And maybe even in how he delivered his message. But he saw results through the power of what he preached. And lastly, and this is positive, I think. I mean, we've had a lot of negativity in that sense. The ministry of the Spirit um, in 6 to 16. And, And maybe I should have taken this again. There's a lot in this. What is, for Paul, what is the ministry of the Spirit? I think, folks, this is a really important question. And my answer to that, I think, is confirmed in these verses. And it's a deep conviction of mine. And it's shaped my Christian ministry. It's what I believe ministry is. And that is taking these words in the Bible and applying them to you and to everybody else in my life. That's the message of the cross. It's the message of wisdom. It's, as you see in verse 7, it's the secret wisdom in 11 and 12 as well, it's, it's the idea that God has made himself known. And how has he made himself known? Well, in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words through Scripture. That's what I think he's talking about here. 
If you look in chapter 2 and verse 1, you'll see that he talks about I, when I came to you. That's the first person singular. I don't know these things. I have to keep looking them up. So that's the first person singular. But look what he says in 6. He switches, for some reason, to we, the first person plural. And many believe that Paul is not now speaking just as Paul, an individual. He's speaking as Paul the Apostle. He's saying, we the apostles, we speak words that are spirit anointed that come from God and we've written them down for you and that's how you know how God speaks to you today, through the scripture. That's how the mind of the spirit of God is known. And I want to say to you folks that when you read the Bible, when you understand what it says about any subject, then that is God speaking to you. That is the Spirit speaking to you. And if you don't believe that, then you look for experiences and feelings and spiritualities, and there's thousands of them out there because that's what people do when they don't believe this, when they don't make it central to, what, to how they live their lives. And we struggle with that every day because people will say, I believe this and I want to do this and God told me to do that. And you say, but how did he tell you? Well, we just, just felt it. And I want to say, no. You need to know what the Bible says about this. It's not literalism. It's not just taking everything it is. We, we do it in context. We read it, all of those things. But I want to say to you, I think these words are saying, that the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of the Word of God. It's the ministry of the cross. It's the ministry of wisdom. And if you look at verse 6, he says, if you believe that, I think he's saying you're mature. And he's contrasting that. We'll see that next week in chapter 3. Because why does he use the word mature? Because he's going to talk about mere infants. Chapter 3 in verse 1. They thought they were spiritual, but he calls them worldly. And he says that the spiritual people are the mature people. That's what he's doing. So he goes through, if you get that thing here, he says the mature. Therefore, maturity and spiritual wisdom do not come from the world. Verse 6. They're not revealed, nor does it come from human knowledge, verse 7. This is an, and, and actually 7 is an amazing verse because it basically tells us that Jesus, the secret wisdom about Jesus on the cross and him crucified came before you and I were created. God knew what he was doing from eternity. It was always his plan. He knows. It's an amazing idea if you think it through. I wish we could have more time with that. Nor is mature spirituality understood by the rulers of this world. That's what it goes on to say there. The rulers of this age in verse 8, they didn't know it. Herod didn't know it. Pilate didn't know it. Cephas didn't know it. That's why they crucified Jesus. And it may mean as well that the spiritual rulers in the sense of the darkness of this world, the spirit world, that Ephesians 6 talks about when they talk about spiritual rulers, they don't know it either. But we know it. We know the wisdom of God in Christ crucified. And that's what it means to be mature. In verses 11 and 12, we understand the things of God. We speak the Spirit's language, which is the word of God. We know it, we believe it, we understand it. And ultimately, he says in verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. Because we have the words of the Spirit that has been given by the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why I make the Scriptures such an important part of our church. That is why we are to read them. That is why we should be in home groups. That is why when we're thinking about what we should be doing, we should be looking to see what God's Word says about those things. And that was confirmed to me. I'm going to try and just finish now by two illustrations in that. I read Psalms in the, in the morning, in a Sunday, in my reading notes. I'm just doing reading notes. But I'm in Acts, believe it or not. 
um, in, uh, during the week. And in Acts 15, you have this iconic Council of Jerusalem. And they're struggling, actually, at this point in time. It's the first kind of church council, um, and, and they're trying to figure out how they deal with these Gentile believers, these folks who weren't circumcised, uh, and they became Christians um, through, you know, Cornelius, and Peter came to him and all of that, and Paul's come back and testified what's happening in uh, all these places that he's been in his first missionary journey. So how do they know the mind of God? Did they just have a big debate about it? Yes, they did. They listened to it. But look at verse 15 of chapter 15 in Acts. The words of the prophets, Old Testament, are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. So the Jewish reality, I suppose, in that sense, the, the, the Israel the new Israel, the church, its ruins, will, I will rebuild, I will restore it. So there's something new going to happen. And the remnant of men they see, may seek the Lord again. And then this is what clinched it for them. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. So how do you know the mind of God? How do you have the mind of Christ? You have it when you listen to what the scriptures say about the situations that you're facing in your life. They needed to know where the Gentiles included in the church. And they read this Old Testament. Where was it from? It was from, uh, I didn't even know where that's from, in Amos. And it confirmed to them that that is what God wanted them to do. So that is what ministry is in that sense. And I wanted to finish as well with a sort of illustration. As, and I read this in the Vox magazine. I think there are lots of Vox magazines out there. And some of you will know a guy called Jim Donnan. And Jim is the director general of Scripture Union. He's just retired, and they're looking for a replacement. I think we should really pray. That's a vital job. That's where Eric's working. Maybe Eric could take that job, but we need someone who will keep the word of God central in the work of Scripture Union. We need someone to take on that role. I'm fascinated by Jim's story because he is a Roman Catholic guy, um, uh, brought up in a good Christ, uh, Catholic home, as he says here, and he was distant from God. He said, a tremendous sense of sin, reading his words here, and I saw God as a taskmaster who was there to punish me. When he was 16, he went to Scotland and he was on a small team. I presume that was a Catholic mission team. And they were sent to a deprived tenement area of inner city, Glasgow. This is an Irishman from a Catholic background in Glasgow. And her task was to work in pairs door to doors, inviting people to talk about God. And he met a dear old lady called Louisa, who lived in a cold bedded flat, uh, but warmly welcomed us in and kindly gave us tea. And she began to explain to us how he, she too was a missionary. But listen to this. But as she spoke about Jesus, her Savior, there was a real sense that she knew him personally, as if he was a real and living person. She shared her faith in and the love for Jesus in such a simple way, assuring us of her prayers. This amazing encounter in time, it was in time to totally change my life. I left Glasgow with a greater desire to serve God. That is the power of the gospel spoken out. And here's a man who's doing mission work for his church, and he doesn't know it. But this elderly lady talks about Jesus and about all that he means to her, and that power has the power to transform that man's life, the beginning of it. And so he comes back. It's fascinating if you're interested in what God is doing in Ireland or was doing in Ireland in the 1970s and 1980s. So, I mean, he meets with friends. He's, he's doing outreach in Cork Street in Dublin down the city centre. And he meets uh, some lads, explain to him, he met a girl in Grafton Street. In fact, this is his friend now. 
met a girl in Grafton Street. And what did she do? He says, he, who told him how Jesus loved him and pointed out his need for salvation. So there's somebody in Grafton Street, and there's a group of them. It's not Jim, by the way. It's his friend Ray. I should have said that. And Ray hears about Jesus from this girl on Grafton Street. And what happened? Ray's attitude and character began to change. And he wore out the pages of his New Testament with constant reading. Because the Spirit of God had got hold of him. And because he loved this word. It's amazing, isn't it? What God can do. There's this hunger. And Jim resists this, by the way. I strenuously resisted the invitations to follow suit, despite the obvious change in the lives of my friends. However, I, convicted, I, was, I felt convicted of my need for Christ when my girlfriend, Barbara, now my wife, became into a personal experience of the Lord. He, ter- he talks about pouring out his heart to the Lord. He talks about it not being a Damascus experience, but a great sense of peace invaded my life. Listen to this. I had a complete assurance that my sins were forgiven and experienced an immediate hunger for reading the scriptures. I wept as I realized for the very first time that Jesus loved me personally. That is the gospel. It is powerful. It is God's wisdom. And it's what unites us in Adelaide Road. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I know that there's an incredible amount of detail in these verses because Paul is just so enthralled with the person of Jesus and the person of Jesus crucified. And I pray, Father, that you will remind us afresh of the glory of the cross and all that Jesus has done for us. I pray that we will not see it as a threat to our well-being or to our own pride, but that we will humble ourselves under him and that we will allow ourselves to be in him. And Father, I just simply pray that you will give us a strong understanding of this gospel. Help us to read our Bibles so that we might know the mind of Christ. Help us to be passionate about these things so that we might forget about the things that divide us and that we might rekindle again our love for Jesus and the love for the gospel. And Father, we pray it for your honor and for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, before I finish, I just want to maybe say, and I should have maybe said this to finish, I want you to open your Bibles if you haven't done so, and look at chapter 2 again and verse 9. Sorry, I should have finished with this. I used to read this and think it was talking about heaven. And in a sense it is, but actually it's talking about Jesus. Because it's Old Testament, Isaiah 64. It's following on from the servant passages. He's really talking about who Jesus and just no one could understand what God was going to do. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's Jesus. But note who gets to see it for those that love him. And I think that's a real issue for me. Do I, do I love this job? Do I love what I do? Do I, do I love just the benefits of being a Christian? Or do I love Jesus? Because when we love Jesus, we see more of him, and we want more of him, and we hear more of him because God opens himself up to such people, because we have humbled ourselves, and we're not proud. And I've underlined that in my Bible now, what God has prepared for those who love him. We're not really thinking of heaven. We're thinking of Jesus. And we want more of him. 
because of all that he has done for us. So let's worship him as we give our offering to him now. Uh, let's take some time to pray for others. Father God, uh, following on, I guess, from what, what Sam said, sometimes our, our prayers and our words can feel quite weak and feeble. But Lord, we thank you that you are, are truly powerful. And Lord, we, we want to we thank you especially for uh, the news that we heard this week about Asia Bibi, who we have prayed for various times in this church. Thank you that she has had her acquittal upheld and that she has been able to safely leave Pakistan and join her family in Canada. Um, Lord, we thank you for this tremendous outworking of your power and um, that you have triumphed over the her enemies, um, I suppose, and the, the country of Pakistan that wanted to, to keep her there. We thank you that you have, you've brought her safely to her new, her new life in Canada. And we pray, Lord, that this would be an encouragement, not just for her and her family, but for, for Christians around the world as well. But Lord, we also acknowledge that our, our world is, is broken um, and that there are many needs we want to pray especially for our own, our own country, our own city of Dublin. Um, and we want to pray for especially the, the health service here, um, the hospitals and the doctors and nurses. We thank you for the blessing that it is to have a, a health service here, that we have so many skilled and able doctors and nurses. Um, but Lord, we pray that um, you would give good leadership that you would um, heal any, any rifts or conflicts within the health system and that they would be able to care skillfully and, and with love um, for those who are, who are sick and in need of care. And Lord, we pray especially for those people like that who, who are sick and who are suffering at the moment. Um, we pray especially for Annie. Um, we pray that you will be with her as she is back in hospital. And we pray for, for healing for her. Um, and as well, Lord, that you will encourage her and, and keep her spirits up. And Lord, we pray as well for, for others in the church who are, who are sick, who are, who are lonely, who are in need, of, in need of your love. We pray that they would be cared for and that you would really make yourself known to them and that they would feel your presence. And Lord, thinking as well of, of sickness and, and physical sickness, we also <laughs> acknowledge that there is a, a spiritual sickness, Lord. Um, and we pray especially for the work of this church in, in reaching out to, to the culture around us. Um, we pray especially for International Cafe, for the work that, that they do in, in reaching out to international students and trying to to preach Christ crucified as we as we read um, a little while ago in first Corinthians we pray as well for for all the ministries of the church we think of uh, the salt project we think of the living well group and we think of the the marriage course as well that's about to start um, of home groups of uh, children's ministry like Sunday special and K2 um, and, and many others Lord we pray that you would you would bless these ministries that they would uh, reach out to, to people who do not know you and that they would preach truthfully and faithfully your gospel and as well that they would build up and encourage Christians um, to help them become more mature um, and to love you more. And Lord, we pray not just for this church but for the wider church worldwide and we thank you for uh, the amazing ministries that are, that are going on um, and we want to pray especially for the ministry of Comunidade de Pedras Rivas in Porto. Thank you for the work of James and Heather Cochran, of Pedro Anamada and of Leopoldo Ligiani. And we pray that you would continue to bless that ministry there, that we thank you for the good news that the church is growing, that there are new people joining there, um, and that 
uh, your prayers are being heard and and our, our prayers are being answered by you, Lord. So, Lord, we we pray for all of these things, um, knowing that you are you are God, that you have the power to to act on these prayers. And we thank you for for your love and for your care for each and every person that we've prayed for. In your holy name, we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing our final hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Um, and I've chosen this, so we've sung this before, um, I think even last week. Um, but Be Thou My Wisdom, Thou My True Word. We'll sing those words. So let's stand to sing this together. Be my, Thou My Vision. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.